It's so good to be home at Dayspring. What a great moment in the kingdom. It's the things we're seeing, the things we're witnessing, things we're hearing from the nations. What a moment to be alive and watching what God's doing. And uh, we we have the same excitement for you here at home. Uh, You know, for the last two or three years, Phil and I have been praying that God would send an apostolic leader here. Now, when apostolic leaders come, they come with who they are. And one of the beauties that we're watching is that evangelistic side of the apostolic becoming more central in who we are at Dayspring. And we just rejoice in that. We rejoice in what we see God doing. We rejoice that God's growing the body, that He's calling some of you back in. And just want to say, Sal and I are walking into and are actually in one of the most fruitful seasons of our life. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't know we could be in a season this fruitful. Um, and uh, it's just the things we're watching happen, the, the speed at which God transforms lives is just incredible. And so this next season for us is poured into sons and daughters, and uh, it's just been such a joy to do that, and that includes sons and daughters back here in this house. And I know for Phil in this season as well, there's just incredible release to things that have been on his heart for years. So we just stand with you and celebrate with you. This is a good season. And uh, it's a good season. And sometimes we don't like different. Different is never wrong. It's just different. Different giftings will manifest different parts of the nature of who God is. And we need to be touched by the breadth of who God is, not just a very narrow segment of who God is. So, it's good to be with you. We saw good things this last week. We were, last Sunday we did a Father's Day service in Jacksonville, Florida. It was a new place for us with one of our spiritual sons and daughters and we watched God th- do things that night were just, just phenomenal. So I know you had a good Father's Day here as well. So, And we'll be here for a few more days. And then uh, one of our spiritual sons and daughters, Andrea and uh, Michael Brewer, are actually taking a sabbatical for a month from their church in Tennessee. And so Sally and I are actually covering their church for the month. So we take off Wednesday, and we're actually going to be there covering that church for them. And it's just, it's so much fun to have the freedom to do exactly what you feel God telling you to do. And that's just, that's this moment for us. So thank you, Derek. Thank you, Dick Spring family, for the way you're responding and receiving. We are ridiculously proud of you. Okay, we have a task this morning. Let's look at the Word. Our theme right now is identity, walking through the book of Ephesians. Um, And this morning we're tackling the first six verses of the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And I want to put a theme or a title on this morning. And my title this morning is Worthy of the Call. What does it mean? What does it look like to walk worthy of the call? 
I think that the call is one of the least taught elements of the gospel. And that's a problem because the call of God is actually the anchor point for identity in Christ. You don't have an identity in Christ without understanding that you're called in that identity. And the challenge we have too often is that we want to live as sons and daughters of the King with access to the resources of heaven, which is totally available to you, but you can't get it unless you're anchored in the call of God. The call of God is actually a prerequisite for accessing the things that sons and daughters are supposed to have access to. And many times we're wanting a call and we're running the benefits of that without actually the surrender that call requires. So this morning, I believe that God's given us some very specific things that He wants us to do. I don't often do this, but I want to put a principle up here. Whenever I'm preparing a message, I spend time asking God, what is the key issue that you want to deal with this morning? What is the key thing you want us to take away? What do you want to get inside of every one of us in this room so when, when we walk out of this room, we behave differently because of it? And this was the statement the Holy Spirit made to me. Without the call of God, our character will be shaped by the environment around us rather than by obedience to the Holy Spirit and surrender to our formation in Christ. A lot of believers are being shaped by environment instead of being shaped by the call. And God, God's heart for this body of believers is that we would be shaped by the call of God, that there would be such a sense of His call on our lives that that drives us. The word, the word call in Greek has, it is the idea of an invitation. So basically, God is issuing an invitation to everyone here to partner with Him in fulfilling His purpose in the earth and releasing His kingdom. So the call is an invitation to partner with heaven. I don't know about you, but I like invitations. I like when somebody's inviting me into something, inviting me into fellowship, or inviting me to a meal, or whatever that, that thing is we're being invited to. But the call of God is... Too often we think of it as a burden instead of an invitation. And so we reject it because it doesn't feel comfortable to us. So Paul starts out making us totally uncomfortable with the call. In verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. So his, his response is, his heart is, the reason for writing this passage is he wants to tell every one of us how to live worthy of the call. What does it look like to live your life worthy of the call? What does it look like for your work life, your leisure life, your shopping life, every area of your life to be governed by the call of God? What does that look like? If the church of Jesus Christ lived by the call, the world would already be filled with the glory of God. But too often we live by a whole bunch of other set of desires. 
So Paul starts out with, I, a prisoner of the Lord. <laughs> His response to the call is, I'm actually a prisoner to the call. That doesn't feel comfortable. That goes against our American individualism. It goes against our idea of what we really want. We, we don't like it that we're prisoners to something. Sally and I, before we were married, on our very first encounter with each other, made a decision that the call of God would be the preeminent part of our entire marriage. We decided that in courtship. Because if you set the call as the preeminent governing force of your life, then everything in your life just lines up correctly with that. doesn't mean it's easy. We've been through some of the toughest things anybody could go through. I mean, the call doesn't, doesn't mean you're not going to get stoned. doesn't mean you're not going to prison. doesn't mean you're not going to get beat up. doesn't mean somebody's not going to die that you love. It doesn't mean things are going to be easy. It just means that there's an anchor for your existence that's absolutely immovable because everything relates back to the call of God. Too often we think of the call as being for full-time ministries or for missionaries. No, the call is for every believer. If you've accepted Christ, you are called. It's, your, it's yours. It's your call. It's who you are. It doesn't, you know, I think they're, they're, I think one of the great disservices we've done in the body of Christ is we've, we've acted like full-time ministry is a higher call than being called to be a plumber or an electrician. They're of equal value. You're no more spiritual if you're preaching than you are if you're plumbing. Just do what you're doing with a sense of being called by God. You know, one of the greatest healing ministries in history was Smith Wigglesworth, who was a plumber for his entire life. We forget that. We, we, we don't think of that. But in the work you're in, in the life you're in, in, in the role you're in, in the profession you're in, you need to be called of God in this moment, in this thing that you're called to. It's the call that governs everything else we do. God has a unique call for you. No two people are the same. I remember early on I wanted to be mentored by somebody just like me. I found out that's disastrous. You don't need to be mentored by somebody like you. You need to be mentored by somebody that sees what you don't see. It's a good thing for somebody to see what you don't see because then you start seeing what you'll never see without them alongside you. So the call of God shapes us by challenging ways we think and believe by putting people around us that think differently than we do. Unfortunately, too often we reject it because it doesn't feel good. 
instead of understanding that God put them there to shape us more into His image. And the call that God gives you, He actually gives you a call that fits your personality, it fits your nature, it fits who you are. And then in turn, He gives you a love for the very thing He calls you to. I mean, it's a win-win all the way around. And one of the beautiful parts of the call is that sin doesn't nullify it. Too often we have a mindset that that mistake we made then took me off on a path that's no longer the call of God. That's not scriptural. I mean, all you got to look at is David's life. He got off path several times. But the moment he steps back in, he's back in the call. Bathsheba's off for a bunch of the time, but she's back in and becomes in the lineage of Christ. Jonah runs from the call, but comes and has one of the greatest revivals. Look through Scripture. Your mess-ups don't define you. The call defines you. And so at any moment, you can return to the call. You can return to your purpose. You can return to His hand on your life. And immediately, He picks back up what you dropped. Now, there may be some consequences of that. May be some cleanup. Sure, there are. Sin always creates mess. But stop disqualifying yourself. We're going to do this right now. If you have felt in some way disqualified from the call, stand up quickly. We're going to pray for you. It's going to take a bold action right now, but stand up quickly. Would somebody near each of these just reach out and lay hands on these right now? There's a breaking coming right now of that lie, breaking that lie that somehow you're disqualified. Father, we release in this room the power of your presence to restore that sense of calling and purpose. We break the lie of the enemy that would say somehow you're disqualified. And we release the call, 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 the call of God to work in your life. Holy Spirit, come and rewrite the history and release the awareness as they step back into the call. Father, some in this room have felt that broken relationships have disqualified them. We break that line now in Jesus' name. We say that does not disqualify you. Those that have walked through a divorce or walked through a separation, we break that lie that you can no longer be who God called you to be. We break that now in Jesus' name. And we declare, we declare freedom, 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 freedom in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, if you're standing just in your mind, I just want you to take a step back into the call, a deliberate step back into the call.
So, Father, as an act of faith, as an act of our will this morning, we step back into the center of your call in our life. And we declare that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Man, I feel some burdens lifting off. I can just see baggage disappearing. I can see lies breaking. I can see identity being restored. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. At any moment, there's an invitation back into your destiny. And that's the invitation that he's extending this morning to every one of us. So then Paul goes on in the next verse and he begins to describe what worthy of the call looks like. You want to walk worthy of this call. What does it look like to stand at any moment of your life and know heaven is saying you're worthy of the call? What does that look like? Well, he starts with all humility, gentleness, and patience. <laughs> you know, we, we, we would start with commitment and a whole bunch of other things that we would list. Paul starts with humility, gentleness, and patience. He said, the call on you isn't about a loud personality. <clears throat> it's about the Holy Spirit at work in you. Three words here that are important. I don't want to spend a massive time on this, but humility is based in total, total, Surrender and dependence on God. Humility starts with understanding who your source is, who your Lord is, who your master is, who the decider is. Humility is a position we take that puts God's interest above our interest. What's God's interest in this circumstance? Not what's my interest, what's his interest? As believers, too often we're concerned about our interests and we're not enough concerned about his interests. What's his, how, do we, how do we steward his interest in what we're doing? The humility we have before God then prepares us to represent Christ correctly to the world. So it's that humility before him that then prepares our heart to properly present who he is to the world around us. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I, I, that's my favorite definition of humility. Because the challenge we have is we, we know we have an identity as sons and daughters of the king. And too often, humility looks like a contradiction to the identity that we're believing to walk in. But it's not. They're not in conflict. Humility just takes the focus off of you and it puts us on those around you. So that when you live for the call, you no longer live for yourself. You live that others would be touched by the power and presence of God. Now, I like 
the blessing of God. I enjoy it when he does good stuff. I, I always look for the marks of his presence. One of the most striking things since Derek and Haiti have come here is that God has restored my ability to write, which I'd lost in the last year or two just, just from being so crazy busy. But not just that, Sal and I have had more partners join us in the last few months than we've had any time in our life in history. What it means is we can go anywhere to any church for any length of time, and we're not required for them to support us. It's a place we wanted to be since the day we made the decision to follow the call. And now in this season of our life, we get to be in that spot. But it's not about us. It's about us pouring our lives into other people. Because that's what the call is about. The call is that others would hear and be touched by his power and presence. Second word is gentleness. This is a, a really unusual word in in Greek, but this word is translated three ways. It's translated as gentleness, meekness, or humility. And it's basically based in your behavior to someone else based on God's love working through you. Essentially what gentleness is. It's how we respond because God's love is so present in us that everything that comes from his presence into others comes with that touch of his love, his love for people. That's the heart of gentleness. So gentleness is not without power. In fact, it's an incredibly powerful word. It's one of the strongest words. But the meekness side of gentleness chooses to defer to others as a choice of the way we live our life. So gentleness is the choice to put somebody else's interest above your own. Ooh, this is hard for us. We have so many interests that we, oh, I won't go there. <laughs> so gentleness always asks the question, how can I demonstrate your value? Gentleness is a value statement. It's an honor statement. How can we demonstrate your value? so that the whole of life is geared towards seeing other people touched by the power and presence of God. Another quality of gentleness that's described is that when you're gentle, you're unoffendable. It's actually one of the definitions. How many of you are unoffendable? Oh, almost no hands. We're struggling. <laughs> well, that's where gentleness comes from. Gentleness actually produces a disposition before God that lets you live without being offended. I want to live there. I, I, I want that to be our dwelling place. I, I want to be able to live unoffended. So when that person cuts you off in traffic or that person 
wants to talk and you need to get on with it. And all those things that we let bother us. Of course, I, nobody here. That would just be me that, that does that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Patience. The third thing in his list. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit that we don't learn in the presence of God, but we learn it in relational challenge. You can't grow in patience in worship. You can't grow in patience when your small group is in perfect harmony with each other. You can't grow in patience when everything is just going so well. You grow in patience when somebody tests your patience. <laughs> Several of the fruit of the Spirit don't grow unless you get in an environment that requires them to grow. I think we need to find patience in this next season. Because the call of God is going to require a body of Christ that has the patience to deal with stuff. That has the patience to walk through some things with people. That sees people as heaven sees them, not as we see them. That doesn't judge by what we see. The next phrase, I want to just hit a couple of these and then we're going to try to round this out. Second half of that verse is bearing with one another in love. The word bearing with here is, the word bearing is tolerance, forbearance, and long-suffering. Now, tolerance has gotten a really bad name in our society right now because it's, tolerance is equated with we can all do our own thing and we need to put up with that. That has nothing to do with scriptural tolerance. The scriptural tolerance is that you see who God called an individual to be, and you're so focused on what God called them to be that the junk that's in the way of that doesn't bother you anymore. So your focus is on who they are in Christ. Your focus is in calling out the gold. It's calling out their image in Christ. It's calling out their destiny. It's looking into the stuff. You, you see the stuff, but the stuff no longer controls you. We read in Scripture that God has forbearance. That's one of His character traits is forbearance. Forbearance is a combination of two things. Forbearance is patience combined with endurance. <laughs> Forbearance is I start out loving you and calling out your value, and I keep loving you and calling out your value, and I don't stop loving you and calling out your value just because you don't behave like I think you should behave. So forbearance has the ability to stay with something long enough that the breakthrough actually comes. We usually try a few times, and when it doesn't work, we dust our hands and walk away. But what God has in bearing with one another in love is that idea of forbearance, of standing with, 
of taking ground together. Verse 3, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Diligent to keep. The word diligent means to labor over, to do one's best, to analyze. In fact, the Greek word used there for diligent is where we get our English word analyze. That's where that word actually originates from. To make careful search. So being diligent to keep the unity of spirit is you're going to have to give actual time to staying together. You've got to actually spend time analyzing, figuring, God, how are you going to work in this situation that seems so divided and so untenable and so outside of your control? How can I be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit? What would it be like if everybody in this room was diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit? What would, it, what would the church across the world be like if instead of figuring out how we can divide over doctrine, we figured out how to be united in spirit. We figured out how to be diligent to keep the unity of the spirit. It would change us. It would change us. It would challenge us, but it would change us. Verse 4 to 6, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. How much do we believe that? How much do we believe that? Or how often do we get upset at somebody that doesn't hold exactly the same position we do on something? And we find it easier to separate than we do to figure out how to walk together. The challenge of Scripture is he puts diversity together for the purpose of our growth and to more fully represent who Jesus is. He has a five-fold ministry because each of those ministries represent a different facet of who God is. I'm called apostolic. That, that's, that's my heart from, you know, God spoke that over me years and years ago, and I, I'm not afraid of having apostolic as my job description. But this heart inside of me is actually pastoral. So my apostolic will always look pastoral. That's not broken. That's just the way God made it. That's how he designed me. That's part of his call in me is that when I operate in the gift he's given me, it's going to come out pastorally. I can't help it. It's not broken. This guy down here is apostolic, but this thing in here is the evangelist. He's a rabid, ridiculous evangelist. And there's times he cares more about what the unsaved think in here than he cares about what the saved think. That's not broken. Hang on. That's not broken. It's different. It's a calling. His apostolic will always come through an evangelistic grid. Get over it. 
It's not broken. Phil is one of the purest pastors I know in terms of his care for people. But he is a breakthrough apostolic on the inside. When he gets in the nations, something erupts out of him of power and miracle and presence and healing. He's got a call of a pastor because the heart of an apostle. Come on, guys. We've got to find a unity in the body. I'm going to close with this quote. I put this quote in deliberately to mess you up this morning. And I really pray that it does. So I would ask you to listen with open hearts. This is by a guy named Oz Guinness. It's one of the better books written on the call of God. It's just called The Call by Oz Guinness. For followers of Christ, calling neutralizes the fundamental position of choice in modern life. Ooh, we don't like, we like our choice. <laughs> I have chosen you, Jesus said, you have not chosen me. We are not our own, we've been bought with a price. Where did I stop on that one? Yeah. We have no rights, only responsibilities. That doesn't feel good to our liberated, independent, self-made American way of thinking. This is so counter to that that it's painful. It feels wrong. But that's what the call of God does. Let's just finish this quote for the fun of it. Following Christ is not our initiative, merely our response in obedience. Nothing works better to debunk the pretensions of choice than a conviction of calling. Once we've been called, we literally have no choice. How, how much effect does the call of God have in your life? What's the power of that call? Does it, does it affect the way you think? Does it affect the decisions you make? Or is it something we kind of add into our portfolio? Well, I feel good to be called. Or is this the stuff of your life? In this next season of the body of Christ, the call of God is going to become one of the central themes we deal with. Let's look at one more verse. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Jump to that for me, please. We pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Would you stand up with me? 
My prayer for Dayspring in this season is that we would know the call and be obedient to the call. Yours isn't going to look like somebody else's. Selling my experience is not what everybody else is supposed to do. It's our experience. Every one of you will have your own encounters with God and your own obedience to the call. But a lot of times our life is in a mess because we've not anchored where we need to be anchored. So my challenge this morning is it's time to get anchored in the call. It's time to say, I don't, may not, I don't totally understand this thing. I promise when we sat across from each other at a, at a Valentine's Day banquet, and we looked at each other, and we both called the mission field, and we made the decision to follow the call, we were clueless. We had no idea the cost of that. We had no idea the broken relationships that would have to walk through, the pain would have to walk through, the, the loss would have to, we had no idea. But every moment was worth it. Because the call, the call, the call, the call. I want to invite you, if the Holy Spirit is touching your heart, to just have a greater surrender to the call for you. Would you make your way out of seat and just come down the front right now? I believe God's going to bring some things into focus for us. He's going to help us see what we've not seen. I think he's going to help us walk in just a depth of surrender to the call that then begins to shape every other area of your life. A lot of things don't make sense in this life until you surrender the call. And then suddenly stuff you didn't understand starts to have meaning to it. You just put your hands out like this in front of you and let's just receive. Holy Spirit, to the best of our ability this morning, we want to anchor our life in your invitation to partner with you. We want to anchor our life in the call of God. We don't want it anchored in ministry or performance or gifts or power. We don't want it anchored anywhere except in you and who you are and our surrender to you are, to who you are. Forgive us for our independence. Forgive us for feeling like we've got so many choices. And this morning, we just make a deliberate decision to reduce our choices down to this one central thing. We surrender to your call. Just make your own statement to him right now. I surrender to your call. I surrender to your purpose. I surrender to your hand on my life. I surrender to your desires. 
Lord, make, make my desires your desires. Make them so that they're so connected that I can't tell the difference anymore. Father, we connect our life into that call. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. And just seal those decisions we make this morning. Seal in our heart our surrender to your call. And Father, we're asking that you would begin to use us in every area of our life. We surrender our work life to you, our social life to you, our leisure life to you. We surrender our life in the body to you. We surrender our fellowship with other believers to you. We say, Lord, be central. We give you the right to convict us, to challenge us. We give you the right to mess with us. And we promise to not get offended when things don't go like we thought they were going to go. We just surrender to you in Jesus' name. Now, as an act of that surrender, we're going to take communion together. Derek, would you come and just lead us in that? So if you would just make your way over the sides or there's some at the back as well and just get those things in your hand and we're going to walk through a, the moment of incredible surrender when his life becomes your life, when his body becomes your body.